0: SECTION Twenty-One OF STORIES OF THE FIRST AMERICAN ANIMALS This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Christopher Hoving, Portland, Michigan. STORIES OF THE FIRST AMERICAN ANIMALS By George Langford Toto, the Non-Progressive, Part 2 The plains horses had come down to the river to drink and bathe, it was their custom to do this once each day the river being their main source of supply for the plains country contained little moisture and animals living in the almost barren wastes needed water as much as any else these horses were hardy creatures and although no larger than ponies were of good size as horses went in their day Pliohippus was the leader of the herd he and his companions had finished their ablutions and were preparing to depart inland when they became aware of a commotion going on across the river a stout-bodied beast of some sort was running toward the water followed by a pack of dogs the one hunted made hard work of his running and as he plunged into the water his pursuers were almost at his heels at first it looked as though the fugitive had no chance whatever but he soon proved that he could swim well even though he was a poor runner the dogs could not catch him strive as they might and all of them finally climbed out upon the bank howling at the swimmer, who wisely kept to the element wherein he had shown such ability to avoid his enemies. The plains horses could see his head moving about in the water. They were wondering how long he could stay there without rest, when they noticed the head growing larger, and pointed their way, with a path of foam and bubbles trailing along behind it. All became interested, for it was unusual for forest animals to venture across the river to the region which offered them so few attractions. The head came nearer and nearer, until it reached shallow water. Then it arose, and a plump body appeared behind it, all wet and glistening, like that of a reptile emerged from the depths. The newcomer splashed his way along until within a few yards of dry land, and then he stopped, with his feet in the water, gazing timidly at the assembled horses, and exhibiting such embarrassment at seeing so many pairs of eyes directed upon him. The plains horses thought him a new variety of rhinoceros at first, although his nose was very unrhinoceros like, being long and flexible and bearing no horn. Pliohippus called to him from the bank. Who are you? The stranger blinked and screwed up his big nose. Toto the tapir, he replied. The tapir? Are you the only one? Pliohippus inquired. He had never seen a tapir until this moment. The plump creature grew more and more embarrassed. The only one I know of, he mumbled. Um, a browser, thought Pliohippus. Browsers were hoofed animals, whose short-crowned teeth could not be used for chewing hard, tough substances, although they did well enough on green leaves, tender shoots, and other soft food. "'Have you no friends?' the plains horse asked. The tapir did not seem to understand at first. "'No, I, I haven't anything,' he said. "'But when I see many animals, of one kind together, I, I feel—' He stopped and looked so wistfully from one face to another, that all felt sorry for him. "'You feel lonesome.' said the plains horse, but old-fashioned animals are scarce. One rarely sees them nowadays. Toto looked up quickly, with his head cocked on one side. Am I old-fashioned? he asked. Yes, said Plyohippus, looking at the other one appraisingly. Too fat-bodied and short-legged. Nose, well, I never saw such a queer nose. And as for your feet, I don't know. I can't even see them. Toto obligingly waded out of the water, and halted high and dry upon the bank thereby exposing all four of his feet for inspection. The effect upon Pliohippus was electrical. Uttering a surprised snort, he stood like one transfixed with nostrils dilated and eyes starting from his head. "'Who are you?' he gasped. "'Is a tapir some form of horse? Look, friends, and see. This creature is one of us. He is Odd-Toad.' The horses all gathered about Toto in great excitement and examined the feet in question, much to their owner's confusion. It was, as their leader had said, the tapir's feet, at first glance, seemed like shapeless pads of flesh, but the third, or middle hoof, was the largest, and supported more weight than any of its fellows. Enlargement of the middle hoof, and shrinkage of those on either side of it, was the badge distinguishing odd-toed from even-toed animals. The latter carried the weight, on each of their feet, with two toes instead of one two just alike, and so close together that they might be mistaken for one hoof split in two. All hoofed beasts were either odd or even-toed. To the plain's horses it was an amazing discovery, this finding that the tapir was one of their own kin. All were mightily pleased. But to Playa Toto's presence meant more than a happy family reunion. The tapir was alone, probably the last of his kind, all because he was old-fashioned and had not kept up with the changing world. BUT IT WAS NOT TOO LATE IF HE COULD BE INDUCED TO IMPROVE HIMSELF, AS THE HORSES HAD DONE. WILL YOU STAY WITH US? PLIOHIPPUS INQUIRED OF HIM, WHEN THE FIRST EXCITEMENT WAS OVER. WE CAN BE YOUR FRIENDS AND HELP YOU. IT IS NOT YET TOO LATE. TOO LATE FOR WHAT? Toto ASKED, MUCH PUZZLED. TO CHANGE. YOU ARE TOO FAT AND SHORT-LEGGED, WITH NO HORNS OR TUSKS TO FIGHT WITH. HOW DO YOU EXPECT TO AVOID FIERCE ENEMIES? YOU CAN'T EVEN RUN. Toto mumbled something about having managed fairly well thus far, but the plain's horse gazed at him so reprovingly that he glanced down at his feet, abashed. They were pudgy and heavily soled with callous pads. Pliohippa studied them critically. "'Wrong shape and too many toes,' he snorted. Toto began to feel discouraged. "'My feet? I never knew that anything was wrong with them. How many toes should I have?' "'One,' was the prompt answer. Toto glanced from his own to his companion's feet. Is that all? Why do you have more? he inquired blandly. Plyohippus frowned and bit his lips. He had three toes on each foot. This he could not deny, although to all intents and purposes he was one-toed. The two little ones dangled too high up to be of any use. They were the remnants of olden days, when horses had three toes, all of which touched the ground. Plyohippus would have been glad to be rid of them, but they still clung to his feet like dewclaws. The tapir had touched upon a tender subject, but his air of innocence and inexperience was disarming. He meant no offense. Those little extra toes will come off some day, Plowhippus explained. But it means much work. Yours must come off, too. How? asked Toto. Running on hard ground, Plowhippus replied. You can wear those thick soles down to the bare hoof at the same time. I don't believe I would like that, Toto objected. But the plains horses would not listen. He kept dwelling upon Toto's imperfections until the latter began to think himself a very inferior animal. Nobody ever told me this before, he said, then bowed his head and sighed deeply, as though realizing that his being a tapir was a most unfortunate circumstance. Pliohippus turned the matter over in his mind. The tapir interested him strangely. HE DID NOT KNOW THAT IN AGES LONG PAST, HORSES AND TAPIRS WERE VERY MUCH ALIKE. THE FIRST HAD PROGRESSED, WHILE THE latter HAD REMAINED ALMOST STATIONARY, AND THAT WAS WHY THEY NOW APPEARED SO VERY DIFFERENT. BUT THE TAPIR STILL WORE HIS BIG THIRD TOE, THE BADGE OF KINSHIP, AND PLIOHIPPUS WAS PROFOUNDLY IMPRESSED. YOU MUST REMAIN WITH US, HE DECLARED. DO AS WE DO, AND WHO KNOWS BUT THAT SOME DAY YOU WILL BECOME A HORSE. Toto COULD HARDLY BELIEVE HIS EARS. "'I, a horse?' he exclaimed, looking from one to another of the faces about him. All agreed that the transformation was feasible, whether they believed it or not. It was a novel idea, one that caught their fancy, and they were interested in seeing it tried. Toto himself began to view it with favour. He would have friends, which he wanted badly, and now that he had been declared a creature of low caste, he was not unwilling to better himself.' The upshot of the matter was that the herd of Plains horses marched off, taking Toto with them. As they left the river border and reached higher ground, the tapir almost lost heart at sight of the barren wastes extending before him on both sides as far as he could see. "'No trees?' he gasped. "'How can animals live without trees?' His companions made haste to assure him that trees were luxuries, fit only for fat and slow-moving beasts. They encouraged laziness and were not meant for high-class animals. Horses could live without trees, and did. Toto would have remonstrated, being still a tapir, and not a horse as yet, but he hated argument, and so he held his peace. Then, too, he was, by this time, filled with the notion of bettering himself. Some bad must be expected with the good. The march was resumed, and soon the river lay far behind him. Toto was now prepared to endure many discomforts, but as he saw more and more of the plains country. His heart grew heavier until it felt like lead, dust-laden air to breathe and hard ground to walk upon, scanty grass-tufts sticking straight up like stiff brushes. No ponds, mud-holes, or moisture of any kind, all bare and lifeless beneath a broiling sun. Toto almost rebelled at this appalling state of things. He turned his head and gazed anxiously in the direction from which he had come. What an awful country, he thought to himself. No place to drink and bathe perhaps I ought not to have ventured so far from home. His reflections were interrupted by a movement in the herd. His companions had increased their pace to a trot. No exertion for them, but Toto had to gallop his hardest to keep up. A mile or so of the hot, suffocating atmosphere was enough for him. He stopped, thoroughly exhausted, and the herd stopped with him. "'What is wrong now?' Plyohippus demanded. "'Don't you like running your extra toes off?' Toto could only roll his eyes and gasp. Running his toes off was no fun, but his lungs were too full of dust for him to say so. While waiting for him to recover, the plain's horses amused themselves by nibbling at the tufts of grass growing sparsely about them. Plyhippus watched the tapir from the corners of his eyes. Poor wind comes from too much eating, he said, but you cannot be changed in a day. These are our feeding grounds. You may eat when you feel like it. Toto was soon sufficiently restored to absorb more knowledge concerning his new life. He glanced from one grass-tuft to another, there being nothing else in the vicinity suggesting food. They appeared tough and uninviting, but judging by the way his companions nibbled and crunched, they must be unusually choice delicacies. He bent low and grasped one with his flexible trunk, and would have plucked it had not Pliohippus interposed. "'Hold,' said the plain's horse in a shocked voice, Whoever heard of eating with one's nose? Use your teeth. Toto released his grip and endeavored to nibble, but with poor success. His trunk got in the way, and when, after repeated attempts, he secured a mouthful, the taste almost made him ill. Ugh! He snorted in disgust. What horrible stuff! I can never eat it. The plains horses were amazed. What was good enough for them should please anybody, and a tapir was no exception. It simply went to show how rich food and easy living could spoil some animals. They were beginning to think that converting Toto into a horse might prove an extremely difficult task. As for the tapir, although rather appalled by the magnitude of the undertaking confronting him, he was too glad at finding friends who took an interest in him, and too eager to better himself to give up easily. He might be meek and shy, but beneath his unprepossessing exterior lurked unbound patience and persistence. How to manage without trees and water seemed a problem incapable of solution. But hunger, thirst, and the lack of bathing facilities had not yet become unbearable. So when the plains' horses announced their intention of moving on, he was ready to proceed. The air of the plains, which had seemed strangely hot and dry, grew hotter and drier, impelled by a strong wind which stirred up the surface soil, and filled Toto's eyes and nostrils with irritating dust. He was sneezing and coughing to rid his nose and throat of the fine particles which annoyed them, when Plyohippus suddenly called a halt. A brownish haze had appeared above the western horizon, rising and spreading rapidly, like a pall shutting off all view of the sky. To the horses familiar with Plains' phenomena, it was a danger signal not to be disregarded. The haze meant a dust storm, pulverizing soil gathered up and borne along in clouds by a strong wind threatening death by suffocation to every creature in its path. None might hope to outrun it, but fleet-footed animals could avoid it by fleeing to one side. It came from the west, and as the herd was placed nearer to its southern flank than the northern, they chose the direction which promised safety, galloping southward as fast as their legs would carry them. The tapir was left alone, a solitary creature standing in the path of the storm, and not swift-footed enough to escape by flight. On swept the cloud of wind-borne particles, a wall of dust which now darkened the sun and obscured the tapers' vision of everything about him. He dashed away, not to one side, as the horses had done, but straight ahead, as though to outrun the storm. But Toto was not thinking to escape by flight. He was looking for a place to hide. It seemed a poor chance, for the ground was as bare as a board. But just as the dust wall came swirling about him, something yawned in his path, a hole he plunged in. It was not a large hole, probably the home of some rodent, and intended for one smaller than himself. He managed to insert his head and neck, but that was as far as he could get, and there he stuck like an oversized cork in a small bottle. The storm swept over him with a rush, but his nose and eyes were now protected from further inroads of dust. The hole also contained air which could be breathed. He felt the dust-laden wind buffeting him, sternwise and amidships, and doing its best to dislodge him but his bows, grounded in the hole, held him too firmly to be torn loose. This endured, but for a few moments, then the pressure upon his body slackened. The storm swept over him, and was gone, leaving behind it a stilled, dust-laden atmosphere which discharged its burden in slowly descending showers. The danger had now passed, but Toto still remained, with his head stuck in his refuge, making sure before again trusting himself in the open. The air in the hole began to oppress his lungs. His brain whirled and it seemed as though he heard faint voices and felt a jarring of the earth. Something touched his hindquarters, a soft muzzle with sniffling nostrils. Toto backed hastily out of the hole and looked about him. A host of strange-looking beasts stood there watching him, apparently much mystified by his presence. They were hoofed beasts, and not flesh-eaters, as the tapir could see at a glance. Therefore he did not consider himself to be in any immediate danger. However, he kept his wits about him, wondering how all those animals had come there, and what they wanted of him. End of section 21